Episode 224, Mark Myers, Tax Savings Architect and Founder of Peak Profit Solutions. Overconfidence was my favorite mistake. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Mark and his company, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 224. As always, thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. We're joined today by Mark Myers. He is the founder of Peak Profit Solutions. He's a tax savings architect. Mark brings over 20 years of successful business operations and high-level consulting experience uh, to clients and financial professionals he services. Uh, he employs um, the same discipline and tenacity you know, in finding tax savings as he did serving uh, his country as a, a former Marine Corps sergeant in Bravo Company, 4th Marine Division. So uh, with that, Mark, thank you. Welcome uh, to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, Mark. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, thank you for your service. You know, For those uh, who aren't watching on YouTube, I get a bit of a salute. I don't know if I'm deserving of that, but um, you know, <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you for being here and being willing to, um, to share your story. Um, I mean, there's a lot to talk about, um, you know, I think in terms of the work you do, mistakes people might make regarding um, taxes or, or business finance. But before we get to all of that, you know, the question at hand here, um, you know, from different things you've done, different aspects of your career, looking back, what would you say is your favorite mistake? Super mistake. That is, uh, I've got a lot of them, right? So I had to kind of <laughs> dig deep for this one. But uh, yeah. I would say my favorite mistake and, and you know this, confidence is very important in anything you do. You need to be confident. Overconfidence was my favorite mistake. What happened in my overconfident mistake was when I transitioned into what I'm doing now, which is the precursor to what I'm doing now, I was overconfident. I was in New York for a few years, New York City, and then Los Angeles for a few years. And I, I managed really high-end health clubs. I opened up a number of locations for a really high-end health club brand. I learned to be a phenomenal on, owner-operator. I understood EBITDA margins, driving revenue, reducing expenses. Um, and I realized that, that at that time, I would be better served as a consultant to business owners because I really understood how they thought or how they needed to think could be successful. So I left the health club world, which is where I got my undergraduate work and my master's degree. And I went into consulting for business owners and got an insurance license, but I did not, um, I did not, I was so overconfident that I didn't join any join forces with any uh, mentors. I thought I could do it myself. Uh, so I, so that was my overconfident decision. And this was in 2007. So it was not good timing in that the market pretty much crashed significantly. I was trying to figure it out myself, not having a mentor or a structure to follow. So that was my biggest 
and favorite mistake to say, never do that again. Always find someone that's smarter than you are and go through that guidance process, even though you have confidence in, in, in your abilities to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, gosh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. And you know, I think there's there's a lot we can unpack there. I mean, I don't know if you have a story, you know, from that time in the health club business to help illustrate like when is it a fine line between confidence and overconfidence? When when do you find or realize like when when did that occur to you that okay, this is uh maybe now a problem, too much of a good thing? Sure. I think it really occurred and I thought I was indestructible to a sense in that. I'd always done everything professionally and, and, you know, it's been a blessing that, you know, other things that I've done growing up in life in athletics, et cetera, I've just, it's been a blessing to excel. So when I transitioned away from an industry and work that I was doing, that I was always excelling and overperforming and in the top, you know, 2%, I just thought it would carry right over into an entirely different um, career path that, although it it can be complex, I I thought I knew enough. It's almost like you just you don't know what you don't know. And again, that overconfidence line was: if I had chosen to work with a mentor or even an organization that could essentially give me some really good foundation points, even if I only did that for two or three or four years, and then continued on to do my, you know, create my own business, which is ultimately the goal of every entrepreneur, right? Is to own their own business or be in control of that. That was the fine line. I didn't realize, I didn't have the foresight to know that, hey, this market is is going in a significant decline. Now more than ever, do I need help? Mm. So, and I didn't take it because my overconfidence played played uh, too big of a factor my ego i guess so to speak yeah yeah so it sounds like that then was the wake up call compared to moments in the first business and then becoming a consultant um like i said market downturn that that was sort of the gut punch if you will that said hey you you, you got to do something differently you've got to find someone who can help like tell i'd be curious to hear more about that thought process so sort of you know, being aware of, of it and deciding to do something about it. Sure. And the reality, Mark, was I got to a point where everything I was doing that I thought was ideal, I thought it was phenomenal, wasn't working in that I was not producing the revenue and obviously the profit I needed to, to support myself. Um, so the reality was um, when the income dries up, you're brought pretty low and you realize that you know, I need to do something different. So that's really what happened. I, I ended up having to go back and get in, manage a health club for another year or so um, to get back on my feet. And then what I realized was now I know that I need to join forces with those that have been there, done that, and give me some kind of a, an opportunity to accelerate and, um, you know, learn the things that I didn't know that I thought I knew. Mm-hmm. So then um, what... Where where did you find that help, or was there um, a process of trying to figure out who best to get help from, or in what in what capacity? Sure, yeah, I actually sought out a couple of mentors uh, in the insurance space, and then what happened was that evolved into mentors in the tax efficiency space. So I started out with consulting to business owners specific to finance, and wanted to be more an advanced 
planning specialist and integrate insurance, advanced insurance strategies for business owners, which is not really a blue ocean. A lot of people do that, but I felt like I could do it well and offer some additional insight that maybe others couldn't because I had a, a significant amount of experience running businesses very successfully. You know, I wasn't the owner of those businesses, but I was treated like an owner operator and paid like one based off of EBITDA and all these clubs. So that was where once I realized I needed to find others in that space that could really guide me through these, these tough points. And then of course, the great news was when I really realized that there was a blue ocean out there and that blue ocean is really being that tax expert that high income earners are not getting, you know, even though they have a phenomenal wealth advisor or they have a phenomenal tax professional, they're not getting that extra layer or two or three of tax efficiency that you can when you go above and beyond the norm, right? Above and beyond what's what's out there that everybody knows about, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back and talk about some of these, you know, tax strategies or or business strategies and, uh, you know, part, part of your business peak profit solutions. Um, you know, a couple of the questions to you know, kind of wrap up on, you know, your reflections of um, learning from overconfidence, vowing not to do some of those things again. Do, do you still have a mentor or mentors or coaches that you rely on today? Absolutely. Multiple, mm-hmm. multiple. And I engage with them on a monthly basis. And in addition to masterminding, um, it's also a way for me to ensure that I'm staying relevant and also getting a different perspective, right? Because, you know, my perspective might not be the only and the correct, the correct, the most correct perspective. In fact, I might be outright wrong until I hear three other perspectives and realize that my vantage point is a little off center. Yeah. And then are are there certain things that you do today, um, you know, to guard against overconfidence creeping back in or the risks that might be associated um, with with overconfidence? Like, do, do you have mentors who would maybe call you out on that or is it a matter of, you know, self-awareness? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a great question, Mark. And I'd say the, the biggest thing that I do to offset and ensure this doesn't happen again is I have kind of a rule. Don't, if I find myself making more than two fairly large decisions without going to my mastermind network or my mentor network, I'm in the wrong, right? Okay. You can make one pretty strong decision on your own, but now you're starting to make two and three and you're not going to those mentors and saying, Hey, am I, I'm making this big decision. Do you see anything? What's your perspective on this? Do you see any potential pitfalls? Do you see uh, other ways that I could do this? So literally it's like, do not make more than two decisions that are larger in nation nature without the help of someone else. And that's kind of my, my plumb line, right? I, I can get away with one decision, you know, that I need to make fairly quickly, but outside of that, get the feedback before you just continue on to do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. seems like good advice. Um, something to, to reflect on there for sure. Um, I want to ask a little bit, thinking back to your time um, in, in the Marine Corps, you know, thoughts that you have around, um, you know, le- leadership lessons, what was ingrained, in you in in that setting is there you know kind of similar thought around a fine line between confidence and overconfidence when it comes to let's say military situations yeah you know i think the military really taught me to be resourceful and of course in the marine corps you learn a lot of discipline right even though it might be 
feel like a lot of games at times, right? Because the goal is to ensure that you understand that you're only as strong as your weakest link. And you have to work together as a unit. That's the Marine Corps way, Temper Fidelis, Brotherhood. But at the end of the day, the discipline and knowing that every brick you lay is important. And if you don't lay a brick that day or two or three or bricks that you're supposed to because you're not disciplined, then you're essentially shooting yourself in the foot. And if you're laying those bricks in a slipshod way, right, not aligned and mortared correctly, then your foundation is weak. So that discipline really played a role in the leadership and knowing that your every day leads to the outcome. You know, you know, it's like you, you know, I've heard this before. I think it was, uh, it's probably a, who knows who said it originally, but I think it was Tony Robbins. It's like when you're, when you're, when you're golfing, you're swinging that, that seven iron or that five iron or that, that driver and the degree, the angle of that face of that, that club is off just, just a degree. I mean, it can, the outcome can be hundreds, a uh, hundred yards, the wrong direction, you know, like literally. <laughs> so it's that every single day, the discipline and the, the precision because you know it's going to lead to the longer term outcome that's really the right direction mm. you know and saying so you say direction i mean there, there there's an expression um yeah i know military um you know service uh, background of my own but you hear some of these expressions and you know this idea um that 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 marines run toward the gunfire which is an interesting direction or a you know directive that, I mean, it, it's got to require a certain confidence, not just in yourself and your own training, but in the brotherhood or, you know, it's increasingly co-ed, um, you know, think of your, your team, if you will. Um, like that, that's that's just really, really powerful to think that 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 people in that spirit of service and being part of a, something greater than themselves that that can really drive, um, you know, uh, you know, help people achieve things they might not have thought possible. I mean, it seems like a really special part of that Marine Corps dynamic. Um, it was more of a mini speech there than a question. Let me ask it as a question or, you know, what, what are your thoughts or reaction on that uh, that idea of um, you know, being confident in yourself and and that that team dynamic? Yeah, I, no, I, I, I really understand where you're going with it. And I think that it's... Um, one thing for sure, whether you're in any branch of the military, you know, Air Force, Navy, Army, even the Coast Guard, um, but Marine Corps particularly because they're first to fight, they're always the first on the line, is that you have to overcome a certain element of fear, right? So you you know that if you can't overcome your fear, you're not going to be very effective. So it's particularly in the Marine Corps being able to face your fear. Right. Whether that be a, a battle type situation, because you know that you are the first in. Um, so this, you can apply that to anything in life, you know, anything that you're you're tentative about. You know, it's like the only way to progressively move forward is face that fear and move forward. And note that if you fall. If you get up. And continue to get up, it's likely that you're going to continue to move in a forward progression and be in, be in a better place. Yeah. Usually, you know, quitters never win and winners never quit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? But the good news in real life, it's a little bit different than the Marine Corps. Um, yeah. Generally, you're going to have your life, you know, in the Marine Corps, you may not, yeah. <laughs> depending on how, how, how little fear you have. You do have to have a, conf a reverent amount of fear to make sure you maintain 
um, your livelihood, right? For your life. <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, and it's just, you know, um, it's why we, we think for many reasons, we thank people for their service. There's that, that potential of, you know, that personal sacrifice and realizing that your life is on the line. Um, that's, you know, it's, 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 it, that's special. That's admirable. No, thank you very much. I appreciate that. So it was definitely an experience that I will um, cherish, and um, it, it definitely set a course for me uh, for the rest of my life. And and I know that it uh, created a lot of difference. Yeah, a lot of um, good. Yeah. Um. So let, let's talk about you know your your current business, Peak Profit Solutions. You know, you you had shared earlier you have this desire to want to consult and help other business owners. So this is a very specific you know, form of help, you know, tell, tell us about that business and, and how you ended up, you know, with that focus and that interest. Yeah. You know, it really was a, it was an evolving kind of process. Um, you know, when I went into the consulting space for business owners and really didn't want to be securities licensed, I didn't want to manage money, but I wanted to solve problems, help the business owner solve problems. And I knew that Insurance strategies could be very, very powerful for business owners if they are structuring them right with regard to protecting their business and, and you know, key man policies and buy sell and and premium finance and all the things that you know a lot of business owners maybe didn't realize that they needed or or were available. So that was a starting point. And then of course what I realized was, you know, insurance has a tone of tax savings, right? Because when you structure insurance appropriately, Generally speaking, you have tax efficient growth and tax efficient or tax free distributions in the future. So there's always a layer of tax efficiency in insurance. And I was just always enamored with that. And as I continued to grow in this space, I just was introduced to concepts and different individuals and organizations that essentially focused on a certain sliver of the tax code. Mm -hmm. And it would just opened up my eyes to say, oh, wow, you can actually do that. You know, that's tax code little two, or this is, you know, <laughs> 453, you know, it's like, and these things, if you apply them correctly, you're, you have significant tax efficiency and business efficiency. So then I started saying, wow, that's not a lot of people that know these things. I'm sure there's more. There's 75,000 pages of tax code out there. So I started, I put my miners cap on and I said, let me go up there and find all of these efficiencies that are this sliver of the tax code, that sliver of the tax code, and let me put together a toolbox. So I can, when I go in and consult, I can have multiple efficiencies and layers of, of tax reduction that they likely had no idea. And guess who else didn't have a, a, an idea? Their wealth advisor and mm. their CPA. Right. It's almost like, you know, if you have a health, if you have a health problem, you know, you have a general practitioner. But if you, depending on the significance and the and the specifics of your health problem, maybe you don't. Maybe you need to move to an ear, nose, and throat specialist. Maybe you need a neurosurgeon. Maybe you need an oncologist. Like that's where I was going. And really, what I do brings those additional layers in. And I don't replace the wealth advisor. I just create more efficiency. I don't replace the CPA. I just bring these extra layers in that they don't have time or the bandwidth, or maybe the. Maybe their compliance factors, you know, they're just so heavily compliance. Um, you know, they have so much compliance to contend with. Some of these things they might not be able to offer even if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. what, what, what's an example of that when you say like their, their compliance, that's with financial regulations that's different than the tax code and tax law? Is that? Yeah. So think about, 
let's let's talk about financial advisors. And I get like 80% of my business, we'll say 70% of my business is referral from a financial advisor or a wealth advisor or a registered investment advisor, usually RIAs because they have a little bit more flexibility. Well, because the financial markets are so uh, historically speaking, I mean, they they have been riddled with fraud and and all types of things. So there's so many different laws that protect individuals. So a, a wealth advisor generally has layer upon layer upon layer of rules and regulations with regard to compliance that says they can and can do this, they can't do that. And when it comes to what they can do, it's pretty simple. You know, you use the retail chain, the retail uh, platform for that's FINRA regulated for how they invest their other people's money. They can't, if they start offering like real estate projects up the street that their cousin is working on and it might provide 120% return, they can't offer that. They would lose their license, right? So, um, so then that's where I'm going is what I'm offering is not my cousin up the street offering this tax efficiency. It's an attorney group or a legal group that's been in this space for years and years and years. Well, they can offer it and it's in the tax code. It's black and white. It's just that if you're a wealth advisor, can't go down that road because it's not a FINRA regulated, you know, investment specific offering. It's it's a tax efficiency offering that's in in the tax code that, you know, these attorneys are doing that. The wealth advisor couldn't offer if they, even if they wanted to. Yeah. And, you know, there's these different phrases and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but there's a difference between, let's say, tax efficiency, minimizing taxes by using tax law versus tax avoidance in a way that might end up then getting you penalized uh, or in, in legal jeopardy. Right. There's there's that question of kind of better understanding the law versus doing things that are going to get you in trouble, kind of as broad categories, right? Yeah, I think I think a good way to put that, Mark, it's I like the way that, that you broke that down. I mean, essentially the most basic level of tax efficiency is when you have a tax professional, whether they're an enrolled agent or a CPA saying, Oh, did you know that you can take a mortgage interest deduction? Oh, did you know that your standard deduction between you and your wife is this? And that actually is more than your itemized. So you might as well use that. You know, all the basic stuff, all the day by day. But when you start moving outside of that, now you're looking at, well, what is possible in the tax code? What is written in the tax code that you can actually, as long as you follow the rules, because the everybody has the same rules to follow. Stay in the black and white. You got to start going to gray. Then you can be in a problematic position. So that's the key. It's just staying in the black and white code. Sometimes it's putting together a couple of pieces of the code and, and ensuring that there's business purpose for doing so. And the net result is there's also tax efficiency because the IRS doesn't like anyone to do anything just to save tax. There needs to be some type of business purpose or economic substance. So when you look at this code and this code, doing these things in a more synergistic way, putting them together, there is a specific business purpose for doing it that creates more efficiency. And it just so happens that there's also more tax efficiency in doing it. Well, that's totally fine. But when you start dropping all those things and just running after the tax savings, well, you're likely going to get yourself in a position where if you do get audited, the IRS might say, nah, we think that there's not enough economic substance and you just did this for tax savings. And even though it is in the tax code, 
It's substance over form, form over substance. They come after it because they want their tax revenue. That's what they're in the business for. They don't have, they don't make the rules. They just have to follow them and say, we don't think you're following them. So they could take, take it and you can say, we're going to go appeal and we're going to go to tax court. And of course it could be a, a drawn out process and you might win. You know, a lot of times you don't hear about people winning, but there definitely happens. But the IRS doesn't like to take on cases that they don't think they can win. Uh, that way they they look like they're, you know, that Mike Tyson, you know, 50 and 0 yeah. competitor. <laughs> right. Because they 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 only go after things that they know that they have a good idea they can win. So that's where I stay in that in that realm. It's like if the IRS were to look at this, even though it's not something that's the norm. They're going to walk away from it because it's black and white. There has economic substance and you're following the, the code. And, you know, there's usually a historical precedent that this has been done. There's tax court precedent that says that, hey, in the past, this has come up to a question. And guess what? This tax court ruled totally fine. This tax court ruled totally fine. Just do it right. Or this court said not fine. Why? Well, because they didn't do it correctly. OK, that gives us the guidance. That gives us a roadmap. You can do this, you can do this, you can't do that, right? So as long as you're staying in the within the lines, you're good. Yeah, but the, the, there's there's the black and white, there's the, the, the letter of the law, there's the lines, but it sounds like from what you're describing, there is some element or question of interpretation then, judgment call of was there a business need or was this only tax motivated? I mean, that that that's where it may... Uh, that's right. Yeah, be I mean, unclear, exactly. right? If you're making a decision as a business, someone might be taking on. Well, there's a little risk. I might get audited, but I would pay back tax. I mean, there's varying degrees of penalty or or risk that somebody might be willing to accept, as opposed to like, well, I don't want to do anything that could get me thrown in prison. Of course, and 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 to that point, nothing that you know, obviously. I can't speak for everyone in this space, right? Because there's unscrupulous people in every industry, real estate, mortgage lending, you know, you name it, <laughs> finance, um, tax planning. But, you know, never, ever, ever would anything that I would recommend be a, a offense of the nature of, of a legal matter that would be, you know, some type of, penalty above and beyond what would be hey, pay the back taxes and the interest, right? The worst case scenario that I have when I'm working with people is if for some reason the IRS were to pick on this, which they haven't historically, but if they change their mind, because they can, because there's been things that have been around for years and years and years, and it just so happens that a lot of people start using that tax efficiency and the, re and the IRS is losing a lot of revenue, well, they're going to change their mind on that and say, let's Let's figure out if we can slow this down. And a lot of times when they do that, they find groups that are not doing everything right. And then all of a sudden, they hammer the ones that aren't doing it right. Mm -hmm. And they should, mm -hmm. right? The bad actors, the mm -hmm. bad actors. But what happens to the entire industry? Now everybody thinks, oh, I can't do that. That's not true. It makes everyone more cautious. They've set an example. Yes. That, for, yeah. for example, for example, uh, there's always a dirty dozen list the IRS puts out there. One of the dirty dozen list is closely held insurance companies. So people hear captive. Oh, I can't do a captive. That's on the dirty dozen list. The IRS is coming after that. Well, did you know that captives have been around for four decades, five decades? Did you know that 70% of the top thousand, fortune, fortune 1,000 companies use captives? 
you think there's an issue? Do you think that they're going to go do something that's not right? No, it's a matter of, or, you know, partnering yourself with an organization that does it wrong. Same thing when you get into, when you have a financial advisory. Yeah, it's okay to invest with this advisor, but they might give you a lot of bad advice, mm-hmm. yeah. which loses you a lot of money. Right. Similar, right? You got to work with the with the groups and individuals that know how to do it right. Mm-hmm. So what, what would be a red flag that somebody should look out for? Even myself, I'm a small business owner. Um, what's a red flag uh, that, that somebody is being unscrupulous as, as, as you kind of caution against? What is there something that should sort of tip off, you know, well, you know, warning, warning bells, go check with somebody else. You know, if somebody hears something, is, is there a particular red flag to look out for or a common one? Yeah, I mean that's a good that's a great question, Mark. Um, I would have to say in this space, if the person like because myself, I'm not a CPA, I'm not a tax attorney, I'm not a securities license investment advisor. I've got years and years of experience running business, and I've done a lot of due diligence in the tax efficiency space, and I've done a lot of vetting of the groups that I work with. If if someone is talking, if someone is talking to someone like me. Obviously, if it's me, it's going to be a certain way. But if it's someone like me and they're not willing to have a conversation with their CPA, they're not willing to have a conversation with their another attorney that they know that's in their camp. That's a red. That's a yellow flag. Like for me, hey, I'll have a conversation with your CPA. I'll have a conversation with your wealth advisor. I'll have a conversation with maybe an attorney that you work with that's on retainer. And I'll explain these things with you because they might be over your head. Mr. or Mrs. High Income Earner or tax or business owner, because it doesn't have to be a business owner. It can be, I can work with high income earning W-2s as well. Um, maybe these things are over their head. Okay, so now I can, even though I can ta- talk tax code to them all day long, it's just. Right, right. You could. Talk, please, you know, please, I'll please talk don't. To your I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to your CPA. I'll talk to you. And then, of course, now they understand that there is a layer of, um, of confidence and also being able to point to the why, like this is what you can do and this is why you can do it. Right. And then it's a matter of just going through. And of course, everybody's going to have their different perspectives, but at the end of the day, that person that is in pain when they write their tax bill, because I don't talk to anybody that's not in pain. If they're not in pain, then they just write the tax bill. But when they're like, this is hurting. And I, I know that there's other people paying less and I don't know why, you know, my my professionals say I'm doing everything I can, but my, you know, I've got other business owners that I've been in contact with or other people that are saying they're paying a lot less. How are they doing it? Those are the ones I talk to and say, here's what you've been doing and here's what's possible. Here's why it's possible. And if their CPA does is not comfortable with it, I, I just say, well, it's your decision and doesn't mean that your CPA is is just because they're not comfortable with it doesn't mean it's not completely fine for you to do. So then they have a decision. Now, of course, most of the time I'm able to speak to the tax professional and get them to a point where they're like, this is, this is okay. If the business owner wants to do it, or if this person wants to do it, fine, I understand where you're going and it's their risk, right? They might have a risk for audit. And if you feel confident that they're going to get through it, and I, you know, I don't know, I'm indecisive. Or they say, this is fantastic. You're the type the person I've been looking for for the last Five to 10 years. Now I have 12 clients or 15 clients that essentially I would like to bring, introduce you to, right? That's kind of the panacea for me with CPAs. It's like three out of 10 are like that. The other seven 
okay, three out of 10, I like that. Five out of 10 are kind of neutral. It's up to the client if they want to do it. And then there's, you know, that, that final two or three, they're like, absolutely not. If it's not a mortgage interest, interest deduction, you're going to jail if you do it, right? Those are <laughs> that's the three. And wealth advisors generally, they always want their clients to have more money. So they're not concerned. It's just a matter of their broker-dealer allowing for the introduction to happen. Their broker-dealer is fine with making that introduction, and they're fine with however that happens, whether they're benefiting or not benefiting, right? Sometimes a rev share. A lot of times it's better for them not to benefit because their benefit is that they make an introduction. Their client ends up having a lot more money because they're paying less tax. Well, now they can essentially benefit from that from shepherding more of it, but they don't they don't earn any money for for what I do with them. Yeah. You know, so they keep that separate. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, our guest is uh, Mark Myers. Peak Profit Solutions is his company. Um, you mentioned CPAs. I know one thing you help business owners with is finding an accountant. Like what what questions we should ask to see if they're a good fit. Like I've I've had two different CPAs in the course of my business. It basically came from you know referral. Like I I don't know if this you know uh, if if the CPAs are a commodity. Um, should I be finding one that specializes with small business, with consultants? Um, what what questions or what things should we look at to find a good fit with a CPA? I, I haven't thought about this before, to be honest. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And obviously, when you have a tax professional that has experience in the type of business that you or the, the type of work that you do, that's always a, a bonus. But even if they have that, my biggest questions or, or guiding points is ask them how frequently you're going to meet with them. And if they tell you once per year, walk away. And when they say, if they do say, oh, we do meetings, um, you know, more than once per year. Okay. How frequently and what, what do those meetings look like? Um, so, so if, if not just once a year, what frequency would be ideal? Mark, I recommend quarterly. And also, I recommend that they're forward-facing meetings, right? Because most CPAs don't have the bandwidth or the um, the structure in place to really look forward and say, okay, what can we do proactively to reduce tax? They're looking at what have you already done? What expenses have you? What can you? What can you purchase? Mm-hmm. You know, what capital equipment can you purchase to reduce your tax? That's rear-facing. So quarterly meetings that are forward-facing. What can we do moving forward? next quarter and the following quarter and this year to get ahead of your tax bill and reduce. That's the key. Okay. And any other key factors or or that seems really be a good indicator of how often they're willing and able to meet with you? That's one of the best indicators. And the only other layer would be uh, that they do have additional resources outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. They're not the the general practitioner, the medical, the, the, the family practitioner. And that says, I can do neurosurgery. Yeah. Or I don't even offer neurosurgery. So <laughs> right. if you have a if you have a tumor in the front of your frontal lobe, um, I'm not going to refer you to a neurosurgeon. In fact, I'm going to tell you that the neurosurgeon doesn't know what they're talking about. Just deal with the pain. That's what a lot of CPAs do. They don't bring those extra layers of efficiency in because for there's a lot of reasons for that, but, but we won't go into that right now. <laughs> All right. A lot of times they, they feel like they're going to lose their client because these higher, these other layers of efficiency also have tax preparation and tax filing. So if they refer them to this other person that can do these additional things or this group, mm-hmm. well, that, that group can also do their tax planning and filing. 
they might lose a client where the good news is like for myself, I don't do any of that. So I really, it's, that's where I've really been able to carve a niche out. I'm not looking to take their client. I'm looking to provide higher levels of efficiency. Yeah. Well, good. Um, again, we've been joined Mark Myers at Peak Profit Solutions. Mark, tell people, I'll put links in the show notes, but um, where they can find your website, you offer a complimentary session. If people have questions, tell tell us a little bit about that. Sure, yeah. Peakprofitsolutions.com. You can learn a little bit about me. You can. I've got my calendar available, so you can literally just schedule a 15, 20-minute consult. Literally within 15 or 20 minutes, I can identify how many opportunities are available and also give a decent um a decent snapshot of the potential tax savings available. So I can do that in 20 minutes. It doesn't cost a dime. It's actually a fun conversation. And then, of course, if you want to just peruse and get some case studies, um, you know, you can obviously go to the site, ask for some case studies. You don't even have to talk to me, but talking to me is the best thing because uh, we can really drill down on some things pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, good. Well, thank you for talking to me. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, it sounds it sounds like you're confident you can help without being overconfident, right? <laughs> Learn for sure to, to that line of overconfidence and confidence and confident. Yes, for sure. I can help just about everyone. <laughs> well, thank you um, again for being a guest here, Mark. Um, thanks for sharing your story and your reflections and some tips and thoughts for uh, business owners here today. Really appreciate it. Mark, thank you for the invite. It's been a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Thanks again to Mark Myers for being our guest to learn more about him and Peak Profit Solutions. Look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake224. Check out the audiobook version of my new book, The Mistakes That Make Us. Learn more at mistakesbook.com or check Audible, Amazon, or Apple Books. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. 